You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to the Win Win Podcast. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host. Happy to have you here. Uh, please pause, stop, leave a review, comment, like, follow, etc. Um, it would be a big favor to us and be a big favor to other people who, who will find this because of all the uh, fancy algorithms, uh, the more that you engage with the content and leave a review here about this podcast. We're going to talk today about how to declutter your professional and personal life. So if that sounds interesting, uh, stay tuned. Our guest today is a professional organizer, coach, speaker, and trainer, has a number of courses. You can find out more about him at andrewmellon.com. And his name is, unsurprisingly, Andrew Mellon. Welcome, Andrew. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Great to be with you. My pleasure. Happy to have you here. Uh, do me and us a favor. If, give give me a quick two minute background on you know we're talking about this topic. Like, what's a two minute background and a little context that people should know to understand how you got to be talking about this topic that we're talking about today? Yeah, well, it was a funny transition. This was never work that I thought I would be doing. I worked in the theater professionally for the first twenty years of my professional life. And when I got laid off from a theater in Seattle, Washington, I got a gig co-producing an award ceremony at the Kennedy Center. One of our awardees was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. I went to his office to get a bunch of photographs and they were a mess. As I pulled things together, he and his wife said, would you like to organize our photographs for us? I said, I would love to do that. And so- Why did they think to ask that question? Like what happened before that? uh, Well, so- they had hired a woman to organize their photographs for them. And apparently, this is what the wife said to me. Apparently, she had uh, worked for about two or three hours, said she was going out to get lunch and never came back. She ghosted them. So, okay. <laughs> so they were, I mean, they were aware that things were um, messy, that they were. Uh, Things were mislabeled, things were missing, things had been lent out and never returned back. There was no checks and balances for things that had been loaned and nobody was checking them in and out like a library. So it was just, it was a hot mess in a filing cabinet, so. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, so sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. So, so another another interesting thing about this assignment was that I started, this became a pattern that I would recognize throughout my professional career later. I didn't know it at this time. In retrospect. The day before I was supposed to go to work, they called up and said something unexpected has come up. We need to reschedule. We won't do it in December. We'll do it in January. Great. I, I had other freelance work. January came around, same thing. Can't do it today. Let's do it a month later. February, same thing. In March, they said, when we're ready to proceed, we'll get back in touch with you. So I never went to work for them. But in those four months, I told every person I met, got this amazing gig. I'm going to create a comprehensive photographic archive for a Nobel Peace Prize winner. That led to a friend of mine referring me to an accountant who needed a filing system. I built that for her. She started referring clients of hers to me. So people would show up literally with a duffel bag full of receipts saying, I haven't filed my taxes in five years. I've got letters in here from the IRS. I'm freaked out. I don't want to go to jail. Can you make sense out of all this paperwork before something really bad happens? 
So I would organize all the papers, put it in QuickBooks, give it back to the accountant. Accountant would file their taxes. And these people were like, oh my God, you're amazing. You saved my life. And they would tell all their friends, you'll never believe I gave this guy a pile of garbage. In three weeks, he turned it around and I filed all my taxes and the IRS is off my back. He's a genius. And their friends would, would inevitably say, who's this guy? I need, I, like, you know, I was like the good version of Michael Clayton, right? I was a fixer guy. You had a problem, I would solve the problem and make it all go away. And you didn't have to do anything except pay me. So that was really how the beginning of this practice began, uh -huh. you know, in 1996. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let, let, let's fast forward to the present and to, and to people listening to or watching this. Um, describe what people are going through who feel overwhelmed, disorganized and cluttered. Describe their lives emotionally, physically, mm -hmm. everything. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there is not um, only one avatar or one manifestation of overwhelmed. Right. I mean, the, the people that I typically work with, there are certainly people in the C-suite, um, you know, that have different situations than, than somebody who's middle management, who might have children at home, maybe has a partner, maybe doesn't have a partner, is working a full-time job. So the, how overwhelm shows up in people's lives is typically, it's all based on too much to do and no system for managing it. So you're flying by the seat of your pants. This is not a set of life skills that many people are taught. I mean, and it goes all the way back to possibly reconciling and balancing a checkbook to even looking at your relationship with the clock and time. Because we are, we are all here in the developed world working with 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour, 168 hours in a week. That's the math. And so often the story is I'm not good at math, right? Or math pisses me off or math frustrates me or math scares me or intimidates me, or I have extenuating circumstances that mean <clears throat> math doesn't apply to me, but it's just math. And, and again, it's two or three digit math. So if you can buy a pack of chewing gum and count your change, from the $5 bill that you gave the guy at the bodega, you can do the math that I'm talking about. This is not complicated math, but the story might tell you that you're out of your depth or like, I can't manage my time. There's too many demands on my time, but it's just, it's all about recognizing the story, isolating the story and living in the math. Because once you remove your feelings from how you feel about your obligations and your commitments becomes much easier to interact with them. And then we get to look at, do they line up with your values? And if they don't, it becomes, it's a dispassionate exercise to remove them instead of I'm giving up something important to me. It's the story that tells you it's important, but the reality is it might not be important at all. It might be a, a, an old obligation that you've just carried forward because of guilt or shame or trying to be a people pleaser, you know, the origins again are specific to you individually. The fundamentals are we live in the math. We make smart choices based on our values. So tell me a story. Tell me a story of somebody who has stories in their mind about why they do things or what's important or about themselves and their inability to, you know, to manage math or time or whatever. 
uh, that you've come across or yourself or, or whatever, like, you know, tell me a story, an example of, of somebody that came with a cluttered mind, time, calendar, room, house, what, you know, business, whatever. Yeah. Well, so if we think about, um, people that I have worked with before, uh, I'm trying to think of one that I can talk about in a way that doesn't, um, doesn't break anybody's yeah. you know, confidentiality. Yeah. Anonymize information. Yeah, yeah. You could even, if somebody yeah. was in manufacturing, you could say they're in distribution, change right. the details a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I had a client who um, uh, uh, worked in um, uh, financial industry, was a money manager, uh, made a good six-figure income, married to somebody who was a city employee, made a good uh, five-figure income. So should be able to live comfortably in that scenario. Uh, it, it, were there not a shopping addiction? Now, the shopping addiction was framed to me as um, a, a gender uh, a gender qualifier, meaning, oh, it's a woman thing. You wouldn't get it because you're a guy. You don't shop the way women shop which is just BS, right? I mean, clearly- is, You're saying this is one of the stories that people tell- This is themselves. a story, right? Like the reason that um, that she was up at two o'clock in the morning because she couldn't sleep and was on QVC buying four versions of whatever they were selling in multiple sizes or multiple flavors <clears throat> was because it was, you know, gender-based, which is just, again, it's just garbage. It's, it's such a fabrication. Uh, there are guys that will do that. They would just might be buying sporting equipment and not necessarily shoes, but shopping is shopping. And so our, our relationship was really about stopping the inflow uh, that was coming in faster than we could get things out. Cause I would pack up five to 10 boxes a day to ship back. And the UPS guy would be dropping off 15. It's like, mm, we need to, we need to get to stuff equilibrium, right? We can't have more coming in than stuff is leaving, or we're going to continue to have clutter. And there was, there was six figures worth of credit card debt mm. that she was carrying, even on a multiple six figure income. So again, things were just lopsided and the stories were all, um, she had grown up uh, uh, as a, like barely working class, probably, you know, working poor was where she was financially. If we think about socioeconomics was probably where she started. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she also had a story about um, a certain degree of entitlement and also a story about shame that this was like a dirty secret that she should, she should be managing her money better, but she, you know, didn't have the experience to be able to manage her money better because she grew up poor Right. Well, but, you know, it, all of it is just ways of packaging things that upset us to neutralize their impact on us without actually changing the core behavior. Right. It, so it's really about a degree of awareness, a mindset and a, and a conscious interaction with our actual behavior rather than our perceived behavior and our avoidance. So if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds, 
there's, there's so much it's it's it sounds almost overwhelming to think about the interplay of multiple problems or multiple thinking mistakes or emotional triggers that go into the scenario you just described. So how do you walk somebody through, how do you walk somebody through getting to the other side of that? Right. Well, we need to look at each of them as a discrete story and neutralize each of them. Uh, so it, the overwhelm, whether we're dealing with physical clutter, we're dealing with time management, we're dealing with money. Um, it's the overwhelmed feeling often comes from the piling on of all of them as if you must address them all simultaneously. So one of the eight deadly time thieves is multitasking. You can't do open heart surgery and bake a cake at the exact same time. You can do them sequentially, but you cannot do them simultaneously. Mm. It's the same thing if you're looking at the circumstances of your life, the, the choices that you're making in your life, you're not gonna cure them all at the exact same time. You're gonna approach each one managing a, uh, an intimate relationship with a partner managing childcare. If you have multiple children, managing childcare for each individual child, they're not a clump of children. You know, if you have a child with special needs and you have a child, you know, and you have another child who doesn't have special needs, how you interact with them, how much time you allot for their care and the managing of their schedules varies from child to child. So when we look at it in a global sloppy, vague mess, it's easy to get overwhelmed, but if you chunk it up into each of its individual categories or time buckets, it becomes a more discrete problem challenge that you're going to solve. So you're not trying to take mm. it all on. You're just trying to deal with, okay, I've got a story about growing up in poverty and now I'm spending faster than I'm earning because it feels thrilling. It also feels dangerous. And I like on some level, psycho, uh, subconsciously, unconsciously, I like that that friction. It's like picking at a canker sore in your mouth, right? I mean, you know that it's uncomfortable, but you also keep doing it because there's stimulation there. So it's being able to address that. And I'm not a psychologist. I mean, if you have a therapist, I would support you in, in working with the therapist and doing what I can do if we consider it lay therapy, because it's really more about I'm working with people more about behavior modification because mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have the clinical background to address the root causes to shrink you in a, in a right. formal psychotherapy way. But I certainly have enough experience in psychology to be able to identify it with you and point you in the direction of you want to address this, right? I mean, because well, even if you're don't, even if you're only doing it behaviorally, how do you, you know, how how do you get somebody? Let's take that example of the behaviors that come from, uh, you know, you know, feeling like, well, I I never had this growing up, you know, so they want to have it now, or they feel entitled, or you know, or or it's that danger. How do you get right. people to the side of that, even from a behavioral perspective, without getting into you know what a therapist might do? Yeah. So, well, so it's just really, first of all, identifying like you are doing this behavior. Do we both agree like you are doing it? It's not like it's happening in the middle of the night. There's not elves getting up and shopping at QVC. You're right. doing it. I think some right? people may have denial that, that, it, that there's anything even happening. Exactly. So first of all, let's get let's get into into real conscious awareness about these are the behaviors. These are the results or consequences 
you know, consequences sometimes have a, has a negative connotation. So I like to neutralize the language when we're identifying situations that are yielding suboptimal results for you, not for me. I don't have an, I don't have a horse in the race. So I'm not judging your choices. But if you have determined the results that I'm getting from these behaviors are not making me happy and are not aligned with my values and are not creating a a delicious experience for me. Awesome. Let's let's agree that we've we've identified that these behaviors are yielding these results or consequences. And so we have to change the behaviors to get different results. Right. So let's, what do we need to do to neutralize these? And by identifying, <clears throat> so I'm compelled, compelled, right? I mean, we, we have free will. We have uh, barring mental illness that propels us to behave counter to our best interests in a way that we can't easily interrupt without perhaps chemical intervention or something more literally invasive. intrusive, right? Mm -hmm. Or invasive. Barring that degree of, of necessity, it's okay, so I just have to move a little slower and a little more deliberately with my choices. Okay, cool. So at two o'clock in the morning, you could read a book, you could balance your checkbook, or you could be on QVC. Probably the first thing to do is turn off the television. How about if we try that? Let's not turn on the television. Let's not see what's for sale. You're, you're less likely to shop if you're not on Amazon or you're not on QVC. Cool, let's start there. Then beyond that, so that's neutralizing the negative behavior. Now, what, how do we start to build the positive behavior? What can you do to start to dismantle the historic accumulation or the poor time management choices you've made historically so that you are more and more adjusting towards, again, what we would consider to be the positive direction that we want you, that we collectively, you as the driver, we want you moving in. Right. So, you know, and also let, let's, you know, getting into, let's say, thinking about time, time clutter, for example, um, that might be something you said earlier, looking at your values and what's important, what do you actually want to be involved in and shedding obligations? Yeah, it's triage. Because there's always going to be more, uh, more demands on your time. I, when I teach publicly, right, I say this all the time, I, I, I've done workshops where there's people in their 90s in the room who have too much to do. So the story that you might have of like, once I retire, right. I'm going to have all this free time. It's a lie. You are not. You're going to you're going to have obligations on your time until you're in a diaper in a nursing home. And, you know, you can't remember where you're supposed to be until that point. There will always be more interesting, curious obligational things to do than you have physical time for in your day. So you're always going to have to make decisions. Part of the, part of the trap for people or the, the faulty thinking is that that will change in the future uh, and that things will fall away, but they won't. You will always have to be proactively curating and creating a life that you want. You're never going to be a passenger because even if you were Oprah, who had a bunch of staff managing her schedule, she's still involved in, I wanna do this, I don't wanna do that, make them go away, find these people for me, I wanna do this, 
let's do that. Let's not do that. Let's stop doing this. So you, you have to be in the driver's seat. This idea that you're going to be able to abdicate your responsibility for curating your own life, that you, that you get to just show up and magic happens, came from someplace. And on some level, the origin of it doesn't matter. But again, it's getting real for yourself that it's a fantasy that somebody's just going to show up with a clipboard and guide you through your day and make your executive decisions for you. I want you here, then I want you there. Unless you've unless you've delegated that to them and in some way they understand exactly what's important to you, but still it feels, uh, I think, not irresponsible, but... Uh, uh, less intentional than you probably want to be. Right. Well, what's one or two things, you know, cause we have limited time, right? I'm sure there's a hundred things. What's one or two things people can do or some exercise to declutter their life, either personally, professionally, physically, mentally. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say the number one thing you can do is run your day from your calendar. Make discrete appoints, appointments with yourself and keep those appointments. Don't don't ever start the day with a post-it or uh, the back of an envelope and a list of things that you want to do that have not been quantified. If you don't allot a certain amount of time to execute something, then you're just working until you stop working on that task, but it hasn't been quantified. So you can easily get lost down a rabbit hole thinking, I'm, you know, I'm going to check my email. And then three hours later, you're still in your inbox when you really only wanted to check your email for 15 minutes. The other thing right. that I would say immediately is shift your behavior from working towards narrative goals to math-based goals. And what I mean by that is stop saying, I'm going to work on this until it's finished because finished is arbitrary. We don't know what finished is until we've actually crossed the finish line. But everybody knows what 15 minutes is. So if you say, mm -hmm. I'm going to work on this for 15 minutes and you set the timer, when the timer goes off, you've actually completed the task. The task wasn't finish the third quarter report. The task was work on the third quarter report for 15 minutes mm -hmm. or 30 minutes. So you've actually achieved what you set out to do when the timer goes off. You worked uninterrupted for 30 minutes on the third quarter report. Failure breeds failure. Success breeds success. If the last time you tried to finish the third quarter report, you were unsuccessful in finishing it, the next time you approach the task, you're already feeling beaten up. You're already feeling like, look, I can't manage my time. Clearly, I thought this was only going to take me 20 minutes. Three hours later, I'm still working on it. It must be me. I have bad time management. I, I can't focus. There's a problem with me. No, you didn't quantify it. You didn't create a boundary for yourself. So right. it's not surprising you didn't succeed. Once you move to math-based goals, the goal is working uninterrupted for that allotment of time. And that success builds on itself. So that then you start to feel like, oh, I said I was going to work for 15 minutes. I actually did. I didn't answer emails. I didn't pick up the phone. I didn't read the newspaper. I didn't listen in on a gossipy conversation happening down the hall. I just stayed focused and in my lane for those 15 minutes. Awesome. I'm going to set the timer for another 15 minutes. And right. you are also, you 
are using a timer to quantify that time. You're not remembering it. You're not guesstimating right. it. Like I thought it was 15 minutes because again, you're to do that, you are attempting to multitask. You're trying to use a bit of your brain power to manage the time. Let the clock manage the time. You focus on what the task at hand is. Right. No, that's great. That's great. It goes back to that. It goes back to that math, living in math. Yeah. That you that you mentioned at the beginning. Um, last question. I it, maybe it's just another. It's probably another trick, but. I noticed that your your assistant told us when we were scheduling this podcast that you don't accept calendar invites on your email. So I imagine that's connected to some trick about managing managing or decluttering. Is that accurate? Yeah, I wouldn't really call it a trick. It's okay. uh, what I have found is that uh, when people invite me from their calendar, sometimes the appointment says meeting with Andrew. I have no idea what that means. Right. That can't show up on my calendar. And I can't right. also because it, orig it, or it, origin it originated with you. So I, I don't have control over the appointment. Uh, and, and if there's other things that I need to add to it, perhaps a Zoom link, perhaps background information, it's not, I did, it didn't start with me, so I don't have control over it. And mm. anytime I alter it, it says, you, do you want to send this update to the person who originated it or cancel? You only have two choices. So then I'm constantly pinging you as I'm attempting to edit it or or I'm I'm not able to alter it. Both of those things yield for me suboptimal outcomes. So I'm an adult. I'm responsible. I can keep my own appointments. If you tell me that I'm going to be that we're going to be meeting at a certain time, I'll add it to my calendar. And then I have control over right. what it says. So it says, you know, Ben Wolf colon podcast interview. And I have control over everything that shows up on my calendar. And I'm not a passenger again. Right. That's very cool. So yeah, I, I figured I'd get some uh, I'd get some little nugget from that question. Because <laughs> it's unusual. Well, most people will just, you know, I mean, what I what I what I do and when I have a, lots of other things on my calendar that come from other people. And so I just have a habit of, you know, five, 10, 15, or maybe an hour or two before anything on my calendar. I look up either I look up basically two places, either LinkedIn or my email to get context for whatever the call's about. And then I mentally prepare myself. That's, you know, kind of, you know, the way I've handled it, uh, that, that, that's, that's wasted time, but that's so yeah, all so that time is way is time that's wasted. Um, right. Looking up as a way that could have been a right way to compensate for the fact that you don't have control over your own calendar. Right. Very interesting. And, and this, this is the, so in wrapping up, right? Like this is the, this is one of the big lies that we tell ourselves every day right? That the five or 10 minutes, we're either going to make it up or it's inconsequential. But the average person will waste a year of their life because of things like this. So if you think about, if you want to live to be 88, you want to live to be 95, you want to live to be 72, whatever it is, would you rather, do you want to only live to be 71 and spend a year of your life looking for crap? Or do you want every, do you want to drain every last second out of this experience and pack it with what you want to pack it with, as opposed to five minutes here and 10 minutes there, thinking that it's negligible because those five and 10 minutes will add up to an entire year of your life by the time you're dead. Right. That's awesome. Glad I asked the question. Yeah.
Yeah, and no, I appreciate it. This is uh, super fascinating. Again, people can find out more about you, the courses. Well, the, the one I, the, the title I like the best, and I think you spoke about it earlier in the conversation, was calling BS on Busy. Um, and the title uh, of my third book that I'm just uh, I'm finishing up in the next month. Uh, nice. Which I you know I'm sure you have time blocks for working on the book, which I did also when I wrote my both my first and second book. But the uh, but awesome. No, super interesting. Um, again, Andrew Mellon, M-E-L-L-E-N.com. People can see more about your coaching courses, information, books, et cetera. Uh, really appreciate you talking about this stuff today. I, I learned a lot for sure. It's my pleasure. Always happy to talk about it. And it's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Ben. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to, speak, to spend time with you too. And everybody else, we'll see you on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.